Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Road End Podcast, where each week we will speak to a new guest, get to know them and talk all things Liverpool. Hi everyone, welcome to the Road End Podcast. I'm pleased to say today that I'm joined by Kevin Hatchard. Kevin is an experienced sports broadcaster and specialises in European football. Kevin has also worked for the likes of Sky Sports, Talk Sport, UEFA, BT Sports and many more. First of all, thanks for joining, Kev. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to be on the pod. Uh, it's uh, a curious time to be a Liverpool fan because I think we've set the bar really, really high yeah. in the last few years. So I think it was only natural that we were going to dip below that. So I think it's about not panicking and sticking with it, I think. I'm hoping so. Big game Saturday. Could put things right. The um, The couple of weeks off might have done us some good. Yeah, I think so. And I think as well... You know, we played every game of every competition last season and that's always going to have an effect physically, mentally. You look how close came to actually winning the title Mm. and to just miss out there and then just miss out in the Champions League final. Having played pretty well, really, it was only down to the fact that Courtois had an incredible game that we didn't actually win that game. So I think that was always going to take a while. Sadio Mane going to Bayern, he's having a bit of a struggle at the moment. So we were always going to miss him. So I I think it'll take a while to settle down. And I think people are a bit spooked by what Arsenal are doing, what Tottenham are doing, but I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, well, I'm hoping so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you start by telling us how you got into the journalism slash commentary world, Dan? So I was always, from when I was about 11 or 12, interested in in commentary and kind of different commentators. And Barry Davis was a big hero of mine, but Clive Tilsley as well, when he was on Match of the Day, you know, listening to his stuff. So that shows how old I am, that he was with the BBC uh, when I was first listening to him. So I thought that was exciting. I started off with a uh, a big tape recorder, a big silver tape recorder at home. And every time there was a game on TV, I'd sit in front of the TV and pretend to commentate. And then uh, I kind of built up uh, a fair bank of those. So when I actually came to doing some commentary for BBC a few years later, I'd actually done a fair bit uh, by then. And so it didn't seem scary. It didn't seem unfamiliar. So BBC was the was the the local radio, BBC Radio Gloucestershire. I pestered them, uh, made the tea, helped out behind the scenes, 
uh, Ian Randall, who was the sporting, uh, who was the, the head of sport there, and they said sport director. That's how you you stand saying uh, sporting director. He he was the head of sport there. He was very kind to me. As was Paul Furley, who's now his um, successor at Radio Gloucestershire. Um, and so I did some Forest Green reports, did some Cheltenham Town commentary. Um, I listened back to some of those fairly recently. And I do sound like uh, a Barry Davis tribute act. Uh, I'm a lot posher <laughs> then than I am now. So uh, so that's changed a fair bit. So, yeah, it was about perseverance, really, and kind of um, doing that groundwork at home like a madman in front of the TV with a with a big, heavy tape recorder. Uh, but that all paid off in the end. And so from that, did that freelance, ended up getting... Uh, different jobs, making different contacts, ended up reading the news for a company called Sports Media. So that that went out in a few places. Um, and yeah, just reporting and commentary. And then the Bundesliga came along because I'd been writing for Betfair for a long time uh, about the Bundesliga. And then an opportunity at TalkSport came up to do some Bundesliga radio. Uh, so I did a few of those and they were great fun. And then the, my boss at Bundesliga TV had heard some of those and asked me to come and try out. So right. a lot of it's been sliding doors moments, good luck at the right times and making the right contacts as well. You can obviously hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it, which is why they approached you in the first place. Yeah, well, that that starts it. I mean, you've got to have that kind of passion for the sport, but also passion for the the kind of craft of commentary to a certain extent, because you know, it does take a fair bit of work to improve. I'm not the commentator I was when I started. You know, you all cha- we all change. We all pick up bits, um, get rid of bits that we don't like anymore. We change how we prep games. Um, you know, it, you, you're looking at a whole day to, to prep a game sometimes. And so, yeah, I think it's all part of that process of evolving, really. But there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's a great job. I mean, it's an amazing job. I'm very, very fortunate to do what I do, but there's a lot of groundwork goes into it. Um, It's obviously very unsociable hours as well. So you need very patient family because you're away pretty much every weekend, uh, apart from uh, a couple of months in the summer. So yeah, I still love it. Um, I still really, really enjoy it, even though I've done, you know, probably over a thousand games now down the years. The Steve Bruce of commentary over a thousand games. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe something like that. Something like that. Ho- hopefully a little bit more popular than he seems to be these days. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's start the obvious. At the moment, there's big, big rumours about Jude Bellingham. And, you know, there's a reason why. So for the next 10 years, I'd say he's anyone's midfielder and everyone builds around him. Now, the big link with Liverpool is that seems to be happening. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself and I don't want to get people ahead of themselves, but what do you think on that? Do you think there's any any chance in it happening or do you think the likes of City yeah. and Real Madrid have got more of a chance? No, I think there's a chance, definitely. Um, I think he's very taken by what Jurgen Klopp has done. I think he's very impressed with Liverpool as a club. I think he's somebody that understands the connection between fans and players. He understands that at Dortmund. He's, he's really taken that responsibility on board. He understood it when he was at Birmingham. You don't, at the age he was when he was at Birmingham, get your shirt number retired and have a big mural of you up on the wall, uh, which I've seen many, many times because my uh, in-laws are in Birmingham. So I drive past that a fair bit. 
and it, it, it just every time I see it, it reminds me what an impact he was able to make at Birmingham and how proud they are of what he's done. And having gone to Dortmund and made that leap like Jaden Sancho once did, like others have now done, uh, Tammy Abraham in Italy, Fikayo Tamori in Italy, um, having done that, he's actually become a really important player at the football club very quickly. And so I think Liverpool are one of many clubs who are interested, but I don't think many will have quite the same pull. I, I think Jurgen Klopp is still a really, really big factor in players' decisions when they want to go somewhere. I think it's interesting how how fondly he's spoken to Jordan Henderson as well, actually, mm. uh, and the relationship that they have through England duty. I think he's been very impressed by what Henderson's done for club and country. And I think he can see himself doing something similar. Real Madrid, I think, you know, they are future-proofing their midfield. They've already got Valverde, Chouameni. Um, they've already got Camavinga. And uh, Luka Modric at the age of, age of 306 is still there, <laughs> you know, playing everybody off the park. So I think they'll be in the mix. I think any club that, that's got any kind of ambition will be in the mix. But he he will be very choosy about where he goes and it won't be about money. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, he's still um, very heavily influenced by his parents, which makes perfect sense. His father's still very, very influential in terms of anybody who wants to go negotiate with Jude Bellingham is going to have to talk to him. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think they've ste steered them pretty well so far. Um, not only him, but his brother, Job. And I think Liverpool are definitely in that mix. It's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination, but Liverpool are at that party. Good. That is exactly what we all want to hear. <laughs> so yeah, and, and look, I, I think he's a player that, regardless of whether he joins Liverpool, England fans should be very excited about him. Yeah. Because he's very intelligent. He understands the role that he plays. He's happy to take a knock. He's happy to get into contact and win free kicks. And, you know, he'll put his body on the line. He's humble enough to know he needs to improve, but he does it all. I mean, he scores goals. He can make goals. He breaks up play, gallops forwards. Um, and he's still got a lot of room to grow. So there is a reason why he'll be one of the most exciting players next summer on the transfer market. But, it's worth bearing in mind, Dortmund don't want to let him go. And he has said repeatedly that he wouldn't necessarily push for a move. So we'll see. Yeah, so it's obviously going to demand a, a fee in excess of £100 million. However, I'm seeing rumours that Naby Keita could be on going the opposite way to Dortmund. Is, is there any truth in that, do you think? Or is that just a bit of rumours because it fits the bill? Yeah, I, th I think I'd be very sceptical about that, to be honest, because I, those swap deals don't tend to happen too often anyway. Obviously, we don't know what's happening with a new deal potentially for Naby. I, I think it's a real shame that it hasn't quite worked out for him in the way that I hoped it would. I'd seen him a lot in Leipzig. And when he's fit and on form, and we've seen that in a red shirt many, many yeah. times, he's a terrific player. Very positive, you know, scampers forward, great eye for a pass to break the lines, really, really exciting player. And it's just simply injuries that, that have caused the problem. And that's not his fault. That's not Liverpool's fault. It's a very demanding style of play. Yeah. And it puts a, a huge strain on 
Liverpool's midfielders. They are asked to do a lot of things that midfielders aren't asked to do at other top clubs. And that's not a bad thing. That's just how Liverpool play. It's how intensely they play. And it does lead to a fair few muscle injuries. And, and you look at Naby, you look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, you look at the issues Thiago has had, you know, it does take its toll. Funny you say that. Um, I've noticed, obviously, this season more than ever, it seems to be for us, um, the injuries in the midfield. Now, there's a lot of talk about the midfield. Should we have brought this person in? Should we have brought that person in? What are your thoughts on Arthur? Do you think he's got the potential to actually stay beyond the end of the season? Or I don't think so. I, I think he's an interesting case because he was very highly rated earlier in his career. And at Barcelona, he, he started okay. He made the move to Juventus, which was largely an accounting thing. Miralem Pjanic went the other way, and that was to do with finances, really. And he just hasn't been able to really establish himself. And there's been a, a feeling that, he hasn't looked after himself, perhaps, in the way that he should have in terms of managing injuries. Um, there were accusations that he, he went snowboarding while injured, wow. and that didn't go down well at all. And he hasn't really been able to get to that next level. I think the reason why Liverpool brought him in was because they didn't have a player of Thiago's profile. Now, for me, Artur is no way, nowhere near as good as Thiago, but what he does do is he controls the tempo of a game and he keeps the ball uh, and he keeps that ball ticking. So uh, I think that's why they brought him in. I think fitness-wise, it'll be interesting to see when he's up to full speed because Klopp will demand a lot. I was surprised by it because of the demands Klopp places upon his midfielders. But because Liverpool made a late decision to go for somebody, they didn't want to commit a huge amount of finance to it. And so this was a relatively low-risk move unless Thiago has a serious injury which means Artur plays a lot I'd be very surprised if Liverpool made it permanent come the summer I think they'll have other ideas by then just while we're talking about the midfield then there's plenty of whispers about Conrad Lima tell us yeah. a little bit about him I, I believe he supports Liverpool now whether that's true or not we'll find out but you know players do say that when they want the move but what about his abilities would fit the bill at Liverpool he's very different to Artur or Thiago he's basically an energy guy he's a pressing machine um, Bayern were very very keen to bring him in Julian Nagelsmann wanted him but Leipzig held firm didn't want to do that deal I think Leipzig were very conscious of the fact they'd lost Julian Nagelsmann to Bayern they'd lost Upamecano to Bayern they'd lost Sabitzer to Bayern so they didn't then want to lose another player to them because it would weaken them and strengthen Bayern. He's a player that I think in any kind of midfield that demands energy and demands physicality, he he is the guy you want because he never stops running, never stops pressing, never stops putting his body on the line. He can play, he can pass the ball, he can score goals. He's got a brilliant shot on him from range. So again, I think Liverpool would be in the mix. I think Bayern are always going to have that pull because Nagelsmann has worked with him before. But maybe by the end of the season, Julian Nagelsmann won't be coach anymore. Who knows? So we'll see how that develops. But certainly he's a player that if Liverpool signed, I think would be a perfect fit for what they do. Interesting to hear that, because what you said in terms of pressing machine, I think that's what we're lacking in the midfield at the moment. Over the last six, seven years now with Klopp, that's what we've been known for. Pressing, pressing, pressing. And yeah. in the field, I think the legs are starting to feel a little bit now, so that would be perfect. 
I think it has changed. I think if you look at what Klopp's done at Liverpool, I think there's been an evolution. I think yeah. it started with that kind of fast and furious style and it overwhelmed teams. But I think he realised that if you're going to win things, you're going to have to have games where you play with control. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of what he wanted to do with Thiago. He wanted to be able to keep the ball at times because ultimately, you know, if you're constantly having this kind of gay compressing and this kind of heavy metal football, that's fine. But what it, it does two things. A, it wears your players down over the course of the season. But the second thing it does is it makes games chaotic. Uh, yeah. And and it means that there are going to be ones you should win that you don't win because, you know, the game's wide open and you end up being in a 4-3 and you end up losing it. So, uh, and I think actually the the validation of that change was the fact that they nearly won the title last season with a ridiculous points total because they have been the only club recently that's been able to live with City. And the way you do that is by winning consistently and you can only win consistently really if you've got a way of controlling games. With Thiago, obviously he's made the move from the Bundesliga and he has had his moments where he's been in and out the side due to injuries, but it just shows when he's in that side, what a player. Yeah, yeah, he, he is so good at what he does. And what he does is very specific because it's about moving the ball, stretching teams, protecting the ball. I mean, he's willing to go into challenges as well. He's quite tough, Thiago. I think people don't probably talk about that enough. I think they see him as just a, a kind of artist, really. But he is the guy that will tire the opposition and he will keep you in control. And if Liverpool could keep him on the pitch, I think he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet. For any Liverpool fan, I think we all agree in terms of one of the first names on the team sheet because when he plays, he just gives you that that extra bit of midfield that we lack, that creativity, the brain, the engine, the toughness, as you've said. It's very underrated because he does throw himself into quite a lot of tackles. And when he does that, you get you know, the little moans and groans thinking, calm down, we need you in this team. I think the thing with him is that, you know, they've got a nice balance in there. If you've got him in there, and you've got Fabinho in that midfield as well, breaking up play and doing all the dirty work and kind of looking after Thiago to some extent. You've got the passing range of Thiago. You've got the ability defensively of Fabinho. And then when you've got Henderson in there as well, that allows Trent to do his thing yeah. because Trent can break forwards. Henderson will make that move out towards the right-hand side and cover him. And I don't think Trent's always the same player when Henderson's not in that team because it doesn't quite work in the same way. That said, I'm all for bringing through Harvey Elliott and Carvalho. I think that's fine. And I think actually I was with Klopp in the sense that is there really much point bringing in a kind of mid-range player to fill the squad when you can give minutes to those two? Uh, but they are by nature more attacking players. So then that does put a lot more pressure on the likes of Fabinho to do that defensive dirty work in there. So just a quick chat on Trent. Um, we won't dive too much into it because we already know the situation. But what's your thoughts on the recent the couple of weeks with England and the way it's sort of fizzled out? Um, I think the England thing's difficult because I think he plays in a very, very specific way for Liverpool. And... The way he plays for us is not the way that he's going to play for England because England 
play a more conventional fullback or wingback. So there's kind of plans in the Liverpool team that allow him to do what he does. And sometimes he'll pop up in the centre of the pitch and be playmaking from there. Now, Gareth Southgate, by nature, is quite a pragmatic coach, obviously. And I can understand why he doesn't want to do that, because you're then changing the way you play for one player. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we're massive fans of Trent. There's no Liverpool fan, I don't think, who who isn't, who actually watches the games. But I, I think, is he a, a conventional fullback? No. Is he going to defend well enough for you when you really need him to against the best wingers in the world? No, because he's not going to have that same structure with England. So I think it's one of those really unfortunate situations where you've got an incredible footballer who gets used to the maximum by Liverpool, but England just don't really know how to use him. And I don't think that's even necessarily Gareth Southgate's fault per se. I think that's just an unfortunate consequence of the situation he's in. It's maybe an unfortunate situation for him because he sort of looks like he could be that central midfield figure, but he's yeah, too good to be a right Yeah, and he started there, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he he can play there. I, I think if you put that him in there for Liverpool, it'd take away from what he already does. I don't think there's a need to put him in there because no. Liverpool have the structure in place to cover him. Although he still does have to defend. And yeah. uh, against Napoli, he didn't do that. And he can look a little more lax defensively than he probably should be at times. So I think he's got improvements to make, and I think he knows that. But I just think England needs a more conventional two-way player, and I just don't think Trent's that. I'd I'd like to see them try him more often in a midfield role, maybe, for England. But even then, you've got kind of specialists like, you know, Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, obviously, who we've mentioned. So... Yeah, it's it, it's a shame. I, I would take I would take him as part of a squad, absolutely. Because even for set plays, yeah, you know, occasionally you'd you'd be worth putting in. So let's see. But but I don't think it's necessarily uh, as anti-Trent as people are making out. Uh, I don't think it's that Southgate's taken against him or doesn't rate him. I just think he's got this really unusual player in his hands. He just doesn't know what to do with him. Fair assessment, very fair assessment, because I'm on both sides of it, obviously, as a Liverpool fan, but also as a Trent fan. I understand with the England side of things that England's a very structured type of play. Trent just appears everywhere on the pitch, doesn't he? So that's just not how it works in England. So, yeah, I can I can understand it. Um, I'd just personally like to see him have a couple of weeks off. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, th- that's an interesting point as well, because there'll come a point where if he isn't involved he is going to have to stop picking him because if he's going to keep picking him for squads and he's nowhere near the team, then there does come a point where either Trent says something or Klopp says something, or there there comes a point where it's like, well, actually is the point him going. Moving on to Liverpool, you're a Liverpool supporter. What's your earliest memories of being a Liverpool supporter? So uh, people won't get it from the accent, but I was born in Liverpool (laughs) and my whole family's from Liverpool. Um, I went to Anfield for the first time uh, when I was five. We lost at home to Leicester. I complained it was too cold and too loud (laughs) and I wanted to go home. So so it wasn't the best of starts, to be fair. But I remember the only memory I've got is the noise. That's the only memory, because I obviously was very little at the time. So the only memory I've got is the noise, which was extraordinary, really. 
Um, and so, yeah, so my dad went all over Europe following them, uh, went to, um, went to the Borussia Mönchengladbach final, went to the final against Bruges at Wembley. Wow. Um, so he, yeah, he followed them all over Europe, um, watched them a lot growing up as well. Um, and even when he, when he went to London for a bit to live there, he, he went and had to be very careful as an away fan now and again, traveling on the tube and kind of hide the Scouse accent now and again. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it comes from him really. And, and my mum as well, you know, they both, they both watch every, every game they can. They get down to Anfield when they can. Um, it's not as easy now as it was then with, no. you know, uh, membership cards and points and all of this. It's, it's not as easy as it once was, but, um, yeah, so that so it came through that. Um, with work, it's really difficult to get down there. I would love to be there a lot more. Um, I've been I've been lucky enough to cover them a lot professionally. Um, I commentated on the game against Wolves uh, at the end of last season and thought I was going to pass out because I was actually <laughs> going to commentate on us winning the title. Uh, my heart was pounding second half where there was a there was a spell. I think we all thought, "Oh God, this is on. We're mm-hmm. actually going to do it." Um, but yeah, sadly didn't work out that way. Yeah. It was a bit like, it, it kind of just takes you the game. Just, I mean, that happens with a lot of commentaries. It just kind of takes you really. Um, and I remember one of the, one of the games that, uh, I did work on that. I remember, uh, was when we were pushing for the title and it was Tottenham away and, uh, Pavlyuchenko scored the winner late on. Mm. And I had to, as a neutral scream, Pavlyuchenko's won it. Uh, while inside, completely crushed, but had to kind of act as if, <laughs> as a neutral journalist, I was delighted that we'd had late drama. So uh, it's not easy covering your own team. If anything, it, it's funny, actually, because people say to me, oh, do you feel that you're biased when you cover Liverpool? I think I'd probably go the other way, actually. I think I tend to be harsher on them than other clubs, whether that's a kind of effort to correct it or not, I don't know. But um so yeah, so my my uh, son and daughter are both Liverpool fans as well. Uh, my son has developed uh, a, a deep dislike, if not hatred, of United. So anything United, uh, good lad. <laughs> he, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he had an argument with his teacher the other day because he found out his teacher's a United fan. <sighs> so uh, they had a bit of a heated debate. So yeah, so that so they're into it as well. So I've kind of uh, passed it on to them and my. Um, my niece um, is hopefully going to go down there soon as well. So, so yeah, I'll try and get them to a game soon. We've uh, we've been to a lot of England games because I live in North London, so I'm just down the road from Wembley. Yeah. So I'm going to try and get them to Liverpool as well. But as I say, it's a lot harder to get into a Liverpool game than it is to get into an England game these days. Well, we seem to be in Wembley a lot, so you know you could get yeah, the that. <laughs> ah, that, those trips to Wembley are not easy. I can tell you that. <laughs> Obviously, you've mentioned. You love Liverpool. In terms of Klopp, it must have been a dream for you working with the Bundesliga and Klopp coming over to Liverpool. Yeah. How did that feel? What it was, was the... the most excited I've been since we got Yari Littmanen, to be honest, because Littmanen was always my favourite player. So when we signed him, I couldn't believe it. And I still can't believe he played for us, to be honest. And it was a real shame. I was reading the other day about the kind of inside track and why it didn't work out. And it was a real shame, actually. But he was a sensational player. So I was... Yeah, and a new Klopp would get it straight away. I knew he would understand. Because the thing is, if you look at Borussia Dortmund, if you look at that whole area, um, 
you know, it's based on industry. It's based on the mines. It's based on working class values that yeah. Borussia Dortmund on based on the Ruhr. And he understood that and he understood the fans. He understood how important it was to get the connection with the fans. And so that was kind of a really handy template for Liverpool because a lot of similar values, similar attitudes, similar backgrounds, you know, not, not all Liverpool fans, of course, but the, the hardcore in the city, he understood. Yeah. And I think he's built something to be really proud of. Because if I think of before Rafa, really, you know, and, and during the Rafa years, actually, in terms of the league, you know, really, we were nowhere near a lot no. of the time. And, you know, we'd win a League Cup here and there. And, and we had, you know, we had that amazing season under Uye when you know, won every trophy going, won the, you know, won the UEFA Cup, won the Worthington Cup as it was then, that's how old I am, uh, <laughs> and the FA Cup as well, that amazing Owen performance in the final against Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Oncho uh, with a brilliant goalkeeping performance, as I remember that day. A couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're happy with that. Yeah, we don't mind that. Um, but we weren't, we weren't in the mix for the league, really. We're once or twice, but not really. To have done what he's done is amazing. There's no way if you if you looked at it objectively, there's no way we should be mixing it with City in the way that no. they are. When you think of what they've spent and what we've spent, and I know I know people roll their eyes and go, oh, they're going to talk about net spend now, but it's true. You know, Liverpool's the way they've run the club, the way they've maximised what they've got, the way they've made really smart signings. You know, when they have spent money, it's worked out with Allison brilliantly. Uh, obviously. Van Dyke's been a brilliant signing. Diaz, everybody loves. Yeah. Um, and quite right too. And and I think Darwin Nunez will come good. I, I, I think, you know, he gets a lot of stick at the moment. Everybody's really angry about the red card and every mistake he makes in training seems to go viral at the moment. But Ridiculous. he'll come good. He'll come good. So I, I think they've gone about things the right way. And, you know, to reach the Champions League finals that we have, to compete at the top is crazy, really. When you think that all the money United have spent, and we've been light years ahead of them yeah, more often than not. So, yeah, amazing, really. We asked our guests to choose their ultimate five-a-side team who they've seen live playing for Liverpool. Let's find out what they said. To finish the pod, um, as I mentioned beforehand, we choose an ultimate five-a-side. That can right. be players for Liverpool. It's all Liverpool. Yeah. So what you've seen live, fire away. Yeah, okay. So this, this what always happens with these things is when I haven't thought about them previously, uh, I end up thinking two days later, I can't believe I didn't put him in <laughs> or something along those lines. So, but I, I, yeah, I have got a vague idea, I think. I'm going to put in, and people are going to say this is insane because we've had so many good goalkeepers. But growing up, I was obsessed with David James. And I don't know why, but when I was starting as a kind of rubbish amateur goalkeeper, I was obsessed with the Predator kits for a start, the uh, the big orange one yeah. with the pads. Yeah. Um, and so I am not in any way, shape or form saying that David James is as good as Alisson, is as good as some of the other goalkeepers we've had. But David James was a goalkeeper I really liked at the time. And... You know, you pretend to be people and stuff and kind of, I, I always kind of had a fondness for him. So I'm going to put him in. 
okay. and people will think I'm insane for doing that, but I'm going to put him in, even though Alisson would be way better. For a similar reason that I might have put Sander Westerveld in there, who wasn't very good, but I just kind of liked him as a goalkeeper and I still don't know why, really. So I'm going to put him in. Uh, I'm going to put Big Sammy in. I'm going to put Herpier in there. Um, I'm going to put... I've got to put Lippmann in. Have to put Lippmann in. Um, one of my all-time favourite Liverpool players, and again, this makes no sense, uh, but Titi Camera. I absolutely, I absolutely loved because he, again, we've had millions of players better than him, but he was just really good fun. Yeah. Like you never, nobody knew what he was going to do. He would smash one in from 30 yards out of nothing or he wouldn't do anything all game. Mm. And I think as well, yeah, just entertainers, just fun players, really unpredictable, mad players. And in a five-a-side, he'd be, enormous fun yeah so uh sammy's having a lot to do here defensively <laughs> he uh, is <laughs> yeah so it but I, I trust him to do that that's yeah. fine uh so we've got Lippman in front of him we've got Titi kamara in front of him and then rushy has to go up Lovely. top yeah has to go up top because uh a the insane work rate without the ball so between him and sammy they can break up the play it'll be fine <laughs> and what a finisher what what an amazing finisher. And I think I, I showed the kids videos of him the other day, actually, because they, they obviously don't know him and didn't, didn't know about what an amazing striker he was. And, yeah. and I think you could drop him into any era of football and he'd have scored tons of goals because the work was there. The intelligence was there. The finishing ability was there. So yeah. Yeah, that would be my very unusual Liverpool five-a-side. Yeah, it's interesting to hear your choices. Um, Sammy, obviously a legend. Yeah, well, I think I think with him, I, I think that era of... I mean, I when I started properly watching, when I think about it, that was towards the tail end of when we were winning titles and, and dominating, really. Yeah. So I would have been 10 when we won it in 90 and uh, obviously we don't talk about 89 ever. Um, But that, that then led to that era where we just weren't in the mix a lot for the league. And so you kind of just, that, that era was quite formative for me, really like the worst. Well, the two in terms of worst experiences that stand out um, were both from the FA cup, actually. Mm-hmm. The one we were one nil up at Old Trafford until the last couple of minutes, and they scored twice and won the game. Was Solskjaer and York got the other one? Was it? Yeah, I think it was Dwight York got the other one, and the Cantona final, because you know the white suits and all that, but all that builds up, and I genuinely thought oh, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. We were dreadful that day. You can't really, turn up really in white suits and put a performance. You can like if that. you win. Yeah. You can if you win, but if you lose, it obviously then looks really bad. So, yeah, really bad performances. But I, I think some of the players, like, as I say, Titi Kamara was just just an entertainer, just fun. And Lippmann was a great example of a player that I'd idolised previously and genuinely couldn't believe he was coming. And so, obviously, he had injuries and then he wasn't getting picked. So I was a bit gutted about that. But just the excitement of him joining was was brilliant. Let's call that a pod. Really yeah, appreciate you coming on today. Um, but it's been great to have you there. on. 
it's been you know it's been really good to listen to your views especially if i was our team because i think that's going to shock a lot of people but <laughs> <laughs> me putting david james will shock a lot of people but again i think it's about it, it things like that are never about who the best five aside team no. is because half half of my team wouldn't get in but it's about that kind of emotional connection yeah and you know he used to get slagged a lot jmo for the mistakes he made and stuff like that but i quite like that i like that kind of those flaws because they were the kind of mistakes i was making as a goalkeeper kind of growing up so i, I think i had that kind of connection with him really I appreciate you've got other stuff on after this, so I'll leave you yes. to it. Um, Kev, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate it. Lovely. Cheers, mate. Good Talk stuff. Soon, mate. Good luck with it. Thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to follow our social media, twitter.com slash the road end pod, and also our Instagram page, instagram.com forward slash the road end pod. <laughs>